2 Corinthians chapter 10. While you guys are turning there, I just want to say too, like after last week's message, it was awesome. We had some people reach out to us, preached out of Job, and like I'd said, um, I've never preached on Job before in the past. Like I've used passages from the book of Job, as I've said, for like, you know, supportive scripture for messages that I've preached. But just to go into that book and to preach on Job um, just really resonated with a, a lot of people. We had people reach out to us. Um, that either they personally are going through some stuff, they know people that are going through some stuff, or they've gone through some stuff that they really haven't been able to find a lot of peace with. Um, So that message was amazing. But one of the things that I wanted to, I guess, express to you guys before I go into this message that I didn't really elaborate on is, is you guys know last week the, the emphasis was really the sovereignty of God in that message. I mean, really just this putting trust in God, having a mindset that, not just trusting in him when we don't understand, but also this mindset of trusting in him because we can't understand. That his ways are just so, so much more um, superior than ours, that his ways are perfect, as Elihu said um, there in Job 32. Making reference to all of that, just parking our, our spirits, our hearts, and our minds in an important place and knowing that this God is the God that loves you. This God is the God that you have a relationship with that you are able to call Father. So just once again, seeing that, that the holiness attribute of him, um, the, the perfect attribute of him, the love, the mercy, the grace, the truth, all of that, um, hopefully that was able to kind of bring you guys back around full circle to just understanding like this is the God that I worship. This is the God that calls me child and this is the God that I call father. So just wanted to throw that out there to you guys this morning is just kind of a opening to this. But I'm going to open with this question as well. And once again, I'm not going to put my wife on the spot. The reason why I bring my wife up is because my wife likes to sit there and think that she sometimes is the only one that deals with this stuff. And I said, Jelaine, I can ask this question to anyone in the church and they're going to say, as one pastor said, either amen or ouch to it. Okay. How many of you struggle with the thoughts that you have? Just period. Right. And this, this goes across the, the line of, of any kind of thoughts, okay? Thoughts that aren't holy or of God. How many of you struggle with those thoughts? Every hand should be up. Amen? So the, Linda put up two hands. So we sit there, though, we think about this. And, you know, the, the title of the message today is Keeping Your Thoughts Captive. And I'm going to preach out of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. But I want to give you guys context of this message because sometimes... It can be misconstrued what can be taught to you as a Christian in regards to how your mind should be. And I'm going to be honest with you. As a, as a pastor, I've preached to people and administered to people and talking about how it's important to keep our thoughts captive, that our thoughts are like wild dogs, right? We have two dogs. If we were to open the fence, they would run around the neighborhood and, and cause a havoc. We have a neighbor across the street that knows this all too well. You could be walking out to your car and all of a sudden you have a dog jumping on your back because he just can't keep his dog in the backyard. Sometimes, and he doesn't, and he doesn't choose to. There you go. But my my point of this is, is our thoughts can easily be like this. If we don't keep our thoughts captive, they can easily run astray and cause some damage. Amen? Amen or ouch, right? How many of you have been in that position? 
where you're thinking about something that you just know isn't of God, you have that discernment, you know that it's not holy, and it just takes you on a wild carpet ride, right? Causes some destruction, some hurt, tongue starts to go off on things that it shouldn't be going off on, relate, all this stuff, we know this. So I've, I've ministered to people this, and I've said, you know, this is where we really just got to be in the spirit, we got to pray, we have to seek the Lord, and okay, there's a beauty in understanding and recognizing that we're struggling, that we're in that place, but we got we to gotta keep them captive, right? Because we don't want them to run astray, we don't want them to cause damage to individuals, and that's true. But where we pull this passage from in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and hopefully it's something that I can speak to you guys to bring a sense of peace. Because how many of you in the midst of this feel absolutely guilty when you start thinking some of the things that you think? Amen? Like, you don't even need to act on the thoughts. Just sometimes the things that you go about thinking. Okay, and this isn't even, in, you know, you guys are hearing me and you guys aren't just, okay, speaking about anger, right? Like things that I get angry at. I'm not even speaking about just anger. I could be speaking about sexual things. I could be speaking about coveting, right? Pride. Things that are just the, the, the kind of the ways of our flesh with stuff, right? And we, we get these thoughts, we get these things, and, and we instantly can feel guilty because we start to wrestle with this mindset like, I'm a Christian, like Jesus loves me and I love him. Why do I think these things? And I've had people send me messages from pastors or send me quotes from people that will sit there and say that because you are a Christian, you should not struggle with these things. And I say that's a lie. It's a lie. I, I've heard people sit there and say, well, because I'm a Christian that, that, and I have the Holy Spirit in me, that, that I should always just be on like this, or I should always be doing things like this, or this is simply just of the devil, so I just have to rebuke it and, and push it away. And there's some truth to that. But we also have to understand, once again, my wife and I, we preach and teach this to people, everything isn't demonic. Okay, we, we, we live in a world where we know that there's a real devil. We obviously just learned about it last week in the story of Job. We also know that we live in a fallen world and that we are still encapsulated in sinful flesh. We still have these desires that come over us, that we wrestle with as well. Amen? So I'm going to have you guys, before I go into this, because I, I was going to read this first, you guys can turn with me. I'm going to have you go a few books forward to Galatians 5, actually one book forward, to Galatians 5. Yep, you can keep, keep marked at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, but we're going to go to the, the next book up. So your next right, take it. Gla yep, Galatians 5. And in, in this little area here of, of chapter 5, I'm going to just read to you chapter or verse 17 because I want to speak this over you guys as a body because this is imperative that we get this as Christians. Because I told my wife yesterday, I said, you know, so often if we struggle with these thoughts and these things that we have going on in our mind, these, these thoughts that we're not keeping captive, we instantly can take that emotion or even that sense that energy is kind of burdening us. And instead of using it and going, thank you, Lord, for giving me discernment of this feeling of conviction for the thoughts that I have, I need to now repent from that and ask for your forgiveness. We so often take it and go, this is why maybe I struggle to believe that Jesus loves me. 
or I just feel like I just keep messing this up. And that's not freedom in Christ. I'm not sitting here and saying, once again, that you guys are called to just go out and think whatever you want to think and know that Jesus is just going to love you regardless of whatever it is you think. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is there's a real truth and understanding and knowing that you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, that he dwells in you. But there's a war going on, a battle that's been won. You're no longer a slave to the sin that once kept you in bondage. And what does that mean? What does that mean when we say that we're not a slave to sin? It doesn't mean that you'll never slip to it. I told my wife, I said, when you think of slavery, this is an an act of where you have no control over what's going on. You are just ignorant to the ways of sin. So you participate in it. You do things in thinking that everything's just good and great and dandy. That there's no repercussions for what it is that I'm participating in. That I'm just going to keep going and keep doing. But when you are blessed with the Holy Spirit, when he is dwelling in you, he gives you discernment and conviction to be able to recognize the sin in your life. The things that, and this is a word that is used so often, but guys, sin is just basically that which is not of God, that which causes you to separate from God. So in the midst of having those convictions about the things now, because now you can call sin out, you're no longer a slave to it. But in the midst that you slip to it, you know who to go to to ask for forgiveness. Because you know that you are already forgiven in him. Amen. So here in in Galatians 5.17, it says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in what? Conflict. Conflict with each other. Good job, Dak. So that you are not to do whatever you want. So you hear what I just said to you? This doesn't mean that you're able to just go out and do whatever it is you want. Bless you. You have a spirit, the Holy Spirit in you, to give you discernment and conviction over the things that it is you are thinking and even the things that you are doing. This isn't an opportunity for you to sit back and go, man, I am just a worthless Christian because I feel these things and think these things. No. Give praise to God that you have the conviction to recognize this stuff and to be able to call it out. And so often we can easily operate in a way where we just feel shame, like, I feel like something's wrong with me. I feel like I shouldn't be thinking these things. But here's the deal. The more that you live a life of repentance, you recognize the sin, you repent of it. Do you know it's more of a life that you become sanctified and become more and more like Jesus Christ every day? You are being perfected. You're not perfect, but you're being perfected. There you go. But those are things that once again, that we're called to even when we recognize that we do it, when we slip to it, we get the conviction in us. But instantly, once again, as I was talking to my wife, we all get in the emotional state first. We try to justify our sin. Like we have a right to feel this way. This person did this to me. That is where that is where that is where you have in your heart the regenerated heart you are you are being worked by the Lord and that calls for an outward even repentance and asking for forgiveness because first John 1 9 what does it say he is faithful to forgive those who ask for forgiveness cleansing us from all unrighteousness and sin.
come in opposition to those thoughts. Yeah, you do. And, and that is the thing, though, too, is, but once again, realizing and remembering that these are things that are going to take place as a Christian. They are. You will struggle. You will battle with these things. You will battle with thoughts. You will battle with, with anger towards a person. I, I love reading the testimonies of, of older people that they go to church for decades and they're married to these spouses and they, they have this phenomenal spirit-filled marriage. And then in their 60s and 70s, they lose it on one of them. Throw a salt shaker at them or something like that. So these things can obviously take place even in a marriage. Hi, bud. Okay, good deal. So I'm going to go back now to 2 Corinthians. I'm going to go to chapter 10 because I want to give you guys context of this as well. Because, yes, we talk about keeping our thoughts captive. We talk about all those things. But once again, realizing that we are still in bodies that are sinful, that we have flesh that will, that will come into enmity with the spirit that we have in us. These are normal things to experience and see. We're being perfected in Christ daily. Opportunities for us every day as they're filled with evil to repent and to come to the Lord and ask for forgiveness, which then in return grows us. But... Paul here in 2 Corinthians, we just went through a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago, of our, our, we finished out our Church in Corinth series, right? Went through 1 Corinthians. And if you guys remember, the context of that um, series was, was speaking about how things that are going on in the church, particularly this church, where the Holy Spirit was obviously present, but there is a misalignment and an abuse of things that were going on. A lot of things outwardly surrounding the church, culture had worked its way into the church, so there were a lot of doctrinal issues going on as well, right? So we, we see those things, we read it. So Paul's emphasis to there was basically this was a letter of correction. Like, I see you guys doing all these things in the church. I, I still call you brothers and sisters. I still refer to you as Christians. There's some childlike behavior, though, going on in the faith when it came to worship, when it came to all of that stuff. But it was him writing this letter of correction. Second Corinthians now tends to be more of a defense of Paul's ministry. He gets a letter back basically as a report from that first letter that he had given. And we know that there are actually four letters written to the church. However, we only were able to find two. He knows, though, after that letter was sent, he got a report back that a lot of people listened to the words that he spoke in this, in this letter of 1 Corinthians, that there were some people that were repenting, people that were making some corrections in the church, okay? But there's also another issue going on. People were writing back, basically disputing and questioning Paul's authority as an apostle, and there were numerous things going on and why that was. One of the things I told my wife this weekend was, was they questioned if Paul was really an apostle and really had the Holy Spirit in him because of all the suffering that he went through. Like, this was a contradiction to maybe what they felt and they believed. Like, wait a minute. He's going through all this stuff. He's enduring all this suffering. He's getting beat. He's, he's experiencing all this stuff. We don't really know if this is a guy that's from the Lord, sent from the Lord to plant this church. He also got questioned too because some of you maybe know people like this if you're on social media. The letters that he wrote were really bold, but his presence to them was not that bold. Okay? So you guys are connecting those dots. Like, yeah, people tend to be a little bit more bigger, bark a little louder when it's like in writing as opposed to what they do when they're in person. 
So these were things that Paul was encountering and dealing with, okay? So he was just literally just being questioned as an apostle in his teaching. Chapter 10 is literally kind of the foundation of that to where he's defending his ministry. And this is where we pull from that keeping thoughts captive. But I want to explain to you guys what he really means by that in context. That yes, what I just got done explaining to you here a little bit ago, that's applicable to your life as Christians. You guys are called to try to keep your thoughts captive so they don't run around and make a mess of things, okay? But we all know that doesn't always happen, right? That's just being honest. If I was to sit here and speak anything else to you, which will feed into what Paul's going to explain here, here, it'll actually burden you guys because you'll stop and think something's wrong with me. I can't keep this up the way that Pastor Josh is saying that I should be living and what I should be doing. And many of you have probably been there before, right? We, we sit there and we just think we're no good. That's not what the power of the cross is. That's not the freedom in Christ that we're called to acknowledge. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, let's start off reading here. Paul opens up with saying, By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. Now remember the context that I gave you guys for this chapter or for this book. I, Paul, and this is Paul really expressing his personality in this book. How many of you are sarcastic by nature? How many of you are good at expressing the sarcasm to where people pick up on it pretty well? Okay. Paul had a little bit of a sarcastic niche to him, okay? By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am, quote, timid, when face to face with you, but, quote, bold towards you when away. So he's kind of making a mockery of what he's hearing these people saying, right? Like, Dave, like, when you're sending me letters, you bark loud like a dog. But, dude, when you're in front of me, it's a whole different story. So you're writing back to me going, okay, I'm getting this report. Me, the one who's timid when I'm with you, but bold when I'm away. So this is Paul really trying to emphasize this. He's, he's acknowledging the claims and the charges against him, but he's kind of being sarcastic in the midst of doing it. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. And I'll explain that in a little bit. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. I'm going to tell you, this is the only place in the New Testament that you'll find this word strongholds. And it's a word that is used quite often, but I'm going to explain to you what Paul is saying here. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. So I'll do a hard stop there. So Paul is sitting here saying, when we rewind a little bit, I beg you that when I come, I may not be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. Paul is sitting here saying that we all have a standard in this building right now of what bold is. Amen? It's the, the six foot plus guy that comes up to you and just says it how it is, right? It's the, the, the pretty brunette lady that comes up and just looks at you and smiles but can say something to you where you're like, oh, did she just go there? Like, that is our emphasis of bold. 
I told my wife last night, I say, in our culture, we emphasize so much of how something is said as opposed to what is said. It is this outward appearance of the words we speak and even the person that's speaking it. Pastors that can run around up on stage doing stuff. We can get lost in those optics, but not really listen to what it is that they're saying. Or a guy that walks up to you that's got 22-inch biceps and all that. Your brain and focus is on something else where you're probably not even listening to what it is that he's saying. He's just, he's bold. We live in a culture where it's like, I just say it how it is. A lot of the times wisdom is removed because there's no discernment in A, how to say it, and B, when to say it. We just want to say it how it is. So Paul is making this reference here. Like, you guys have a standard of what boldness is, but he knows and understands what boldness truly is in humility in Christ because the word itself is bold. We don't need to add, as I say, any more sauce to this taco when it comes to the truth of God's word. And so often we have people out there that want to be jerks about being a Christian. I'm just going to say it. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. I believe that. They have great hearts. They have hearts for the Lord. But they can be mean about stuff. You will not be liked, as I've said over and over again, simply for just saying that you love Jesus Christ. Like, amen to that. Like, you guys, people just won't. The things that we have going on in our world today, in our culture, things that are, that are evil, according to the truth of God's word, are now being seen as okay. Things that we deem as lies now are being looked at as truth. This is the culture that we live in today. And this is what Paul is trying to emphasize here. You're questioning me based on some kind of outward perception of what you think being bold is. That's it. I don't have an appearance to you that maybe I should have when it comes to being a preacher. I'm this short, elderly guy, maybe with a beard that hobbles around, and I'm a great writer, but maybe I'm not in a certain way to you that you think that I should be. And he's calling that out. And remember, he called this out even in 1 Corinthians as well. That there's people out there that will... You'll be back. Bye, buddy. There's people out there that you will see running around that will try to use fancy words, right? Persuasive words. Trying to add to what the power of the message of the gospel is. And there needs to be no additives to the message of the gospel. The power of God is Christ crucified. It's the foundation of every church. We don't need to add to that. So Paul is wanting to emphasize that here. He, says, I, he goes, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. Paul is saying, I've already wrote you letters to, to correct something. I've done this already. I don't want to have to come to you now and exercise church discipline. And he'll do it. My wife and I have been in that position before where you could sit in front of a person as gentle as a dove, loving, and recite, speak the word of God to them and why what they're doing is not in alignment with God's will of your life. And they'll be angry. They'll be mad. It's just what it is. And why is that? Because maybe there's other things that they're hearing 
outside of the church that say what they're doing is okay. And this is what's leading into Paul's point here. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. We are Christians. We believe in the Bible. We know and believe of the real spiritual world, the unseen world. Amen? We know that. We were, now we're living in the physical, but we know that there's a spiritual world that's going on. We know as we read through the Bible that we don't battle against flesh and blood. But we, we battle against spiritual principalities. We battle against all these things that are unseen. We, we battle against all the wiles of the devil and all the darkness that we know that stuff. So Paul's sitting here saying, like, I'm not coming to you guys to, guys to wage war like the world does. I'm coming to you with a sense of spiritual authority. I'm coming to you actually with the sword of the Spirit. What's the sword of the Spirit? The Word of God. The Word of God. Like, this is the only authority in which I operate from. It's from what God's Word says and teaches. That's it. So I'm not going to come to you and sit there barrel-chested and, and pointing in your face and screaming because this is how the, the world wages war. This is how we wage war amongst each other. We want to make points to people. We want to yell at people. We want to put nasty stuff on social media or send subliminal text messages to people about why they annoy us. This is what we do as people. This is, once again, we speak about the flesh component here. We wrestle with this daily. Amen? All of you sitting in here are like nodding your head, yes, like, okay, I feel like he lives with me throughout the week because this is the stuff that, this is for real. But this is how we break away from this burden that's over us and thinking that we just need to be something first before we truly are. The only reason you are is because of what he did. That's your freedom. That's what you rest in. And that's what actually makes you more like him as you live a life daily, giving him glory, daily sacrifice of self to honor and to worship him. So as he says, I'm not waging war against you, Wyatt. I'm not doing things to you that the world's going to do. I'm coming to you with a sense of spiritual authority, with God's word, being led by the Holy Spirit and how I'm going to minister and how I'm going to talk to you. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. Okay, I'm not filing lawsuits against you. I'm not trying to take your money. I'm not trying to do any of these things. That's not what he's talking about. On the contrary, okay, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. What are these strongholds that he's speaking about? I'll explain it to you here in a second. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. These strongholds that Paul is making reference here to, it's kind of feeding into what he's talking about with the arguments and the pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We all have personal strongholds. We've heard this word used a lot. Okay, got to break strongholds, right? The strongholds that Paul is making reference to in context to this passage is everything that's going on around us right now that is causing people to not believe in God. Human philosophies, human arguments, the things that you guys watch and witness in everyday life. These are the strongholds that he's making reference to. So we look at it from a personable level. Yes, you have personal strongholds. Yes, you have personal thoughts that you guys have to keep captive. But Paul is making reference here to the ministry in general. 
He's defending his ministry. Remember, this is the context that he's speaking about. My job as an apostle, as he's saying, but he's also teaching you guys your job as a Christian, individual ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is you are actually called to go out there and demolish strongholds of people around you in love. You're actually called to make sure that you go out there and through living the Word of God to people, understanding the Word of God, allowing the Holy Spirit to be your advocate, even being open and honest about, as we just spoke about earlier before, about the thoughts that you guys struggle to keep captive. Because people out there, guys, we, we read so much. You guys see all the self-help books. You see all the stuff where you don't need God. You see all the 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 psychological mumbo-jumbo that they have going on out there. Um, it's really about just being a good person. It isn't about really fun. All of those things, these are the strongholds that Paul is making reference to in this passage. He, he's called to go out and demolish them. That's why he says even further on where he goes to demolish the arguments that go on. Remember the church that he's preaching to here. We have to, re- we have to remember context. This is a church that had a lot of weird things working its way in. I even stand up here and speak and say as a Christian, we're even called to make sure that we demolish the strongholds of false teaching to people who have a heart for Christ. Because these things keep people captive. But this is the thing that I want you guys to connect here because he says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now here's a horrible analogy that I gave my wife last night. It was probably so bad I don't even think she heard me say it. Probably just went through one ear and out the other. How many of you have seen the movie Ghostbusters? They run around and they shoot the ghost and they, what's the thing called that they captured in? Like proton pack or something. I don't know what it's called. This is in a sense what we're called to do with the arguments and the pretensions and the strongholds that's going on in our world today. We're called to take those captive through God's word, through our living of God's word in our life. Because in essence, when you take those arguments captive, you are setting free those who are captive by those false arguments. This is how people are set free from the ways of the world. These are how, this is how people are given sight to the truth of the gospel. You guys look, and I believe it's 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. You guys don't have to turn there, but I will go there real quick. says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There are people in this world that are blinded by the truth of the gospel. They are being held captive by the ways of the world. Human philosophies, human arguments, pretensions. They are captive by this. They are slaves to this. So in essence, in return, us as the Christians, when we go out and we take captive those arguments, Paul sits here and says further on what we're called to do with those thoughts, those arguments, those ideas. What are we called to do with it? We take captive every thought to make it what? Obedient to Christ. 